A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and you'd be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Gareth Russell. He's the managing director of the PR firm Jersey Road, which specialises in PR for churches and Christian charities. We'll hear about how he mixes faith and business, and we'll discuss whether the bad reputation attributed to PR is warranted. But before that, amidst the gloom and darkness of current events, this week sees a little bit of glitter and pomp taking place in the Palace of Westminster. The annual state opening marks a new session of Parliament and is kicked off with the traditional procession of the monarch to the House of Lords. There's always plenty of pageantry and ermine on display as the Queen sets out the legislative proposals of her government for the coming session. Queen Elizabeth delivered her first speech in 1952, the year that she came to the throne, and there have only been two occasions that she's not attended in the intervening years, both because she was heavily pregnant. This year, at the age of 96, and in more fragile health, the speech will be delivered by her son, Prince Charles. The state opening of Parliament demonstrates the symbolic and functional role of the monarch in the British constitution. As we approach the Platinum Jubilee, it also gives us the opportunity to step back and consider the service of our Queen over the past 70 years. Of course, there have been controversies and crises surrounding the royal family over those years, and many people will question the validity and privileged position of a royal family in the 21st century. But in my view, the Queen's example shows us what faithful public service looks like, especially as this was not a vocation she chose for herself. Princess Elizabeth was not born to be Queen. But when her father became King George VI after his older brother abdicated the throne, her path changed and she committed herself to it wholeheartedly. In 1947, on her 21st birthday, she pledged in a speech broadcast to the Commonwealth that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. This year, as she marks 70 years on the throne, she renewed that promise, affirming that my life will always be devoted in service. Even if you are a staunch Republican, it will be hard to deny that she has absolutely kept those promises. In the last seven decades, the Queen has seen 14 prime ministers of different political persuasions come and go, and she's advised them all. She's the patron or president of over 600 charities and organisations. She has been visible in times of tragedy and national crisis, and she has carried out her duties even when facing personal loss, such as the death of the Duke of Edinburgh last year. She's only starting to step back as old age has begun to catch up with her. But what is public service? It's an attitude of putting the needs and interests of others before your own, not seeking personal gain from positions of authority and influence and working for the common good. Using that standard, I wonder what scores out of 10 we would give to political leaders today. Hopefully not too many would get zero, but I can't see any of them getting a 10. In our individualistic culture of me first, we should also perhaps look to ourselves. What lessons can we learn from the public service of Her Majesty? Let's look at the one whom the Queen has sought to follow. 
Jesus was the ultimate servant king. He says in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He committed himself to the path that led to the cross and spent the journey serving, healing and teaching others often to the point of his own exhaustion and ultimately to his own death. The Queen has been very open about her Christian faith and the inspiration and strength it has given her. In her 2020 Christmas broadcast, she said, the teachings of Christ have served as my inner light. And in her 2021 message, that his teachings have been the bedrock of my faith. His ultimate teaching is summarised in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Love God and love others. For those of us who have influence, whether in public life or in whatever position God has placed us, we can do no better than to seek to put this command into practice and to follow Christ's model of service and self-giving. It is a huge challenge, but he offers us his strength and guidance. The books of 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles are full of accounts of rulers, most of whom did evil in the eyes of the Lord. These were leaders who may have had long and mighty reigns, had significant tangible achievements, had great political skill, but they were unfaithful to God. And that is the only thing that is recorded about them in the Bible, because ultimately that is the only thing that really matters. There are a few good kings of Israel and Judah, for example, Jotham, Hezekiah, and of course, David. Yet their military exploits, the infrastructure they built, the prosperity they provided aren't what singled them out. In the case of Hezekiah, it was that he humbled himself before the Lord. So there you have it. That is what Christian public service looks like. And on that basis, though I hesitate to say this, I feel sure that our queen, had she been written about in the Book of Kings, would have been one of those rare monarchs to be blessed with a good epitaph. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. And so to our guest, Gareth Russell, the Managing Director of PR firm Jersey Road. Gareth, you are very welcome. Thank you for having me, Tim. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Let's start off, as we often do with our guests, and ask you to talk a little bit about your journey to faith. How did yours begin? Yeah, well, I, I grew up uh, in Glasgow. You can probably not tell, you might not be able to tell by the accent. I've lived down south for a while, but I, I grew up in Glasgow and um, grew up in a Christian home. Um, my father was, he was a businessman, but he was also uh, uh, involved with uh, the Billy Graham Association, the Lise Palau Association with other student ministries in Scotland. Um, uh, he was the, we didn't have a pastor in the church, but he was, I think, known as a secretary in the church that I grew up in, which was quite a formal title. Um, but I, I grew up in that environment. And um, I think when I was about probably 12 uh, or 13 made made the decision for myself that this is what I wanted to do follow follow Jesus and uh, I remember going forward at a Billy Graham uh, uh, event at Celtic Park uh, joining the hordes of people who were making a decision for the first time or recommitting themselves and and I got baptized not long after that as well so in many ways I've I've I feel like my faith has always been part of my life but I think uh, I've probably gone on uh, different phases of that journey throughout my life and, and uh, hopefully gone deeper each time. And for you, obviously, you saw your father setting an example, a, a man who was successful in, in business and who worked very hard at that business, but very much used his business as a, as a vehicle for ministry, as you described it to me. Yeah, exactly. That That's, you know, he, 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 it was a business that, as you say, he worked very hard. In fact, when in 1985, he actually had a heart attack. And so at that point sold 
the business that he'd started, um, uh, this meat importing business. Um, and But then went into other commercial activities. So he worked for the Scottish government. Uh, he worked for Scottish Enterprise for a while. He helped promote Scotland in, um, uh, in America and in Europe. Uh, he helped develop this country of origin device, which was basically in any Scottish it was a mark of quality basically of Scottish so if it was a Walker shortbread or um, a whiskey bottle or whatever it might be they wanted this country of origin device on there to show uh, the mark of quality um, I'm sure the Crankies had one as well on them um, but uh, we we um, I, I always saw his faith as being integral and almost the business serving the ministry rather than the other way around and um, he definitely taught me that, that that business is a vehicle for ministry. He also taught me that stewardship is not about protecting your money, but it's about um, uh, being radically generous uh, in, in in obedience to where God is is leading you. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I think we've tried to model that. Um, and really, you know, he, what he taught me most importantly, which if I remember, if I was you know, up early, which in my teenage years was was less frequent, but certainly when I was younger, if I was to go into my dad's home office uh, at 6.30 in the morning, every every morning he would be sat there reading his Bible. And that that to me was um, probably the biggest lesson because, you know, you can, you can teach a lot through words, but um, you teach a lot more through actions and, and through what people don't see. Great, uh, Gareth, and a real example for those of us who are fathers as to the example we should be setting to our, our children. Um, we are in the business, sadly, of cutting long stories short. So let's race to the point where you established Jersey Road. You, you set up Jersey Road uh, having worked in publishing with your wife, Andy, who had worked as a, a journalist. Uh, at pretty much the same time that you also took upon the role of church leadership of your church in Milton Keynes. Tell us about balancing those two things. Well, I'm not sure I have necessarily the answer to how we balanced it. Um, yeah, we, 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 I, I had been made redundant from, from my job and um, Andy, my wife, had actually handed her notice into her job. So both of us were, were uh, really wondering what the next season uh, looked like. We, um, we, we, we felt like there was a, a joint vision between us that that there was this negative and narrow narrative within the media around faith and around the church. And we wanted to, in some way, help um, change that. And as you say, Andy was a journalist um, previously. She'd also worked in-house for, for an NGO um, in communication. So she had that background. I had some marketing that I'd studied. But yeah, around the same time, we were actually, we'd just come back, we, we came back from India uh, we'd lived in India for a while, and um, we actually had been part of a house church. So about six of us had been meeting um, every week for for two years. Um, and uh, the church we'd been part of before we moved to India said to us, would you be interested in, we're, we're either going to close this church or we, would you take it on? Um, we had no theological training, no inclination, actually, to be honest, at that point, uh, or um uh, openness really to leading a church but actually we felt like God was leading us in that direction so for eight years we led the church and, and led the business. And then you stopped leading the church and you made a decision to uh, put everything behind Jersey Road to expand what you do and to focus exclusively on a Christian 
clientele. Tell me a little bit about why that decision was made and why you think that's important. Yeah, so we, 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 we always knew the church was going to be temporary. We, we always wanted to hand it over well at some point. Um, and uh, we did that uh, four years ago. Um, and we knew that PR and this vision to tell a better story of, of faith-based organizations in the church was really what our, our kind of main uh, driver was. Um, we, the, reason, the reason we feel this is important is because, um, for a few reasons, one is that there is, as I said, a, a narrative around the church and a narrative around faith that we feel is very negative. Uh, and I, I think it's important that churches and Christian organizations uh, recognize where we've messed up, recognize where we've sinned and are transparent in that. Um, so it's not about sweeping under the carpet, but I think there's a lot of good news stories and a lot of good work that's been done that is not getting the profile uh, or hasn't been getting the profile that deserves. Premier actually do a great job of, of um, doing some of that, but in the mainstream media, it, it's been less so. So we wanted to help give Christian organizations confidence in dealing with the media. Um, I think there's a, a skepticism and a nervousness about um, engaging with the media that they might misuse the words uh, the words, or they might represent uh, in a different way or ask questions around hot topics that are nothing to do with the, the mission of their, their charity. Um, but similarly, you know, we're in the second generation now of families who have never been to church. And so churches are, are doing a great job week in, week out, but we're not really reaching people who have absolutely no connection with us. They're not looking at our Facebook feeds. They're not crossing our doors on a Sunday morning. So the media, I believe, is, is one way of us being able to reach those people who simply would never have had any interaction and have no knowledge of faith or church or Jesus uh, and maybe planting a seed with them about what church could mean for them in their life. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're speaking to Gareth Russell, the managing director of PR firm Jersey Road. Uh, Gareth, uh, public relations has quite a bad reputation sometimes, bad name. It's about putting a positive spin on bad things. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's a deserved reputation? Uh, I think in some ways, yes. Um, I think uh, PR has historically been uh, a bit of a dark art. Uh, and I think for some agencies, they've quite enjoyed the fact that it's a dark art, I think they've made the most of that. Um, I think there has been a lack of transparency in, in PR in terms of, you know, what are clients paying for and uh, reporting structures. There's a phrase in PR, there's no return on investment in PR, and that's often been used to, to their advantage. In saying that, I think there's a, most PRs that I meet and talk to, um, they're, they're really driven by stories and good stories uh, and they they're, they they that's what their passion is and you know i think um whilst there there has been this view of pr especially certainly in the political sphere being about spin um i think most prs are not actually in in that realm i think what they want to do is to is to tell you know inspiring stories of people who are doing great work and organizations doing great work but um, that sometimes gets lost in the traditional and historical viewpoints, I think. Mm. And if politics then is a, a mucky business and uh, then PR very often been allied to it, we on this show obviously think Christians should be involved in the mucky business of politics. But 
To what extent should Christians consider PR as a as a worthwhile career for them? Well, as I said, you know, PR is about good stories, and I think you know if you read the Bible, it's it's uh, it's full of them. And and Jesus was was you know the ultimate storyteller. And I also, you know, I think um, journalism and PR uh, and media, we we need people of integrity. We need people who are. Um, you know, wanting to uh, champion good practice and champion good stories. And um, I, 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 we know lots of great journalists uh, working in, in Christian media and sector media and national media who um, are living out their faith on a daily basis um, and, and doing so in a really remarkable way. And, um, you know, there are some great opportunities, particularly, you know, in, in the mainstream media, there's some great opportunities for journalists to not kind of force a Christian worldview, but to at least um, position, you know, have, have a lens of, of their faith in the work that they do. And I th- as I said before, I think it's a great opportunity. Media is a great opportunity for us to reach people who wouldn't have crossed mm. the, 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 the doors of churches anyway. So I think that's why we need to have more people in PR and in, in journalism who are Christians. For your story to be taken seriously, I guess you've got to be taken seriously. And that boils down to reputation. You can have a great story to tell, but if you're not trusted or liked or believed, then that's going to be a problem. So to what extent should Christians care about our reputation? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good question. We, we, reputation management is one of the, the services that we provide. And again, you know, that can be seen as, you know, making bad people look good. Um, but I think, um, you know, the, the Bible does talk about uh, how uh, the community and how society views us, what are what are what they say about us, how we're we're seen within the community. It talks obviously about us being um, other, but it also says you know we, we should have a good reputation when it talks about the kind of criteria for eldership and in, in, in Timothy. And um, I'm saying Timothy because mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's First Timothy or Second Timothy, but um, uh, in, in the letter written to Timothy, it talks about character, um, and I think. Um, it, what people think about us, you know, we, we say that your, your reputation is not what you say about yourself, it's what others say about you. Um, and we know that, you know, we're, we have a, a different worldview to people, but that doesn't mean that we should be deliberately obtuse or deliberately confrontational. Um, I think Jesus was confrontational with the church uh, and he was confrontational with uh, the Sadducees and the, and the lawyers, but um, he, he was less he was less confrontational with those who were outside the church he was he was more uh, it was more a message of grace and, and engaging and um, often, often prophetic as well and I think that prophetic voice um, is something where we can build our reputation you know I think I think the church can use our prophetic uh, gift to build a reputation that that um, you know, we we actually care for those who are in our communities. There, there was a I'll, just very briefly, there was a um, a study done maybe five years ago about the role of the church in society. And I think at that point it was less than one in five. Um, I think it was about nineteen percent or eighteen percent of people thought that the church was a good influence in society or thought it played a good a, a kind of meaningful role in society. We did that same. We asked that same question during the pandemic. And um, the, the, the figure actually had risen uh, to, I think, 
25% or 26%. Um, and so the reputation of the church, I think, in a crisis has actually been a positive thing because we've been feeding people, we've been there for the lonely, we've been helping the elderly, those who are vulnerable. So I, I think if we have a good reputation, then we will attract people to mm. Jesus. And I think ultimately that's what we're aiming to do. Let's finish on a topical one, Gareth. So uh, your reputation can be affected by the things that people say about you. People might be seeking to undermine you. You might be going through a crisis. Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, um, has been under a lot of scrutiny recently, and he made a bold move yesterday, you might say, um, to say he would resign if the Durham police do indeed find him uh, to have broken COVID rules at the event in Durham a year or so ago. Um, how would you advise him or how you would have, how would you have advised him? Yeah, I, I actually think he's he's yesterday. I think the response was a good one because it was it was clear, it was direct, it was transparent. Um, what we tend to say to clients who are in a crisis situation is, first of all, establish the facts, then make sure you're absolutely clear about um, and transparent about uh, what what those facts are, and then talk about you know what you're going to do to make sure this never happens again. You know, whatever that crisis might be. Um, I think he maybe could have done it slightly earlier. Um, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, it felt like there was a little bit of internal jostling as to whether this is definitely the right thing that should be said. But um, I think him saying, uh, you know, he's, he's been calling on Boris to resign repeatedly because of the, the, uh, the parties um, that the, the Conservative Party have, have been found to have had. Um, and... Uh, it would have lacked integrity, I think, if he had not um, held himself to the same uh, 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 level. So, um, I think, I think actually, he's he's done quite well with that. I suppose the, the proof will be in the pudding once the <laughs> once the uh, the uh, the report is, is is released. Gareth, thanks very much for that. I'm sure Keir should have listened to you a couple of days ago. Um, we listen to you regularly. We think what you do is really important and we're really blessed to have you with us this morning. Thanks ever so much. Thanks, Tim. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It might be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I'd love to hear from you and attempt to answer it. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, Andrew in Dulwich has been in touch and he asks, Tim, why do politicians lie? I mean, Andrew, don't mess about. That's a, a very straightforward question. Uh, so first of all, I think human beings lie. So let's remember that as we hold politicians to account, and we should, let's also recall the fact that we're all sinners and we're all capable of telling untruths. But politicians have a reputation for lying, I suspect partly because they are scrutinised and therefore any dishonesty tends to come out, whereas it doesn't for other people, but also because there is something about being in politics that creates a temptation to say things that are not true. There are different kinds of lie. First of all, you make a promise in a manifesto. You kind of mean it, 
but you didn't think it through properly, you end up in power and you discover that you couldn't actually do that thing. I mean, let's let's hold my hand up and say, as a Liberal Democrat, you could say that for tuition fees, couldn't you? A thing that you promised to do and then you couldn't do, you didn't, and effectively, therefore, you've told an untruth. You often find politicians lying because they're panicked, because a truth has been found out. They didn't want the truth to be known um, because it was embarrassing. Uh, the media might have made a big thing about it, might have cost them votes or reputation. And so they say something untrue to try and cover up for it. And then you've got the sort of lying where it becomes your kind of native tongue, where people lie almost as a habitual uh, mechanism. And all of this is a reminder that because all politicians are flawed, we can then drop into a mistaken position of thinking that they're all equally bad. And I think about Christianity and Christians is that we we recognize we're all sinners, we're all in desperate need of grace, but we're not neutral when it comes to people who do bad things and say bad things. And so whilst we should always be humble about our own sins, not assume that everybody's going to be held to a standard that we never reach ourselves, we all the same shouldn't tolerate you know, habitual lying on a on an epic scale. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's end our time together this week in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for our leaders. Um, You have placed them there. Um, We therefore thank you for them. Uh, We pray for an outbreak of integrity amongst our leaders. Lord, we know that we are fallen people. Our leaders are fallen people, uh, sinners in need of forgiveness and salvation. We pray for an honesty and we pray for a, a justice and integrity at the heart of those who lead our government, our main parties, uh, and indeed who operate in public life in general. Lord, we lift up to you, Her Majesty the Queen. Um, We regret that she isn't able to physically be uh, there for the state opening of Parliament this year. We pray for her physical health and we pray for her encouragement. We thank you for her firm faith in you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would uh, keep her faithful to you and that you would strengthen her and encourage her. And we pray that her her faith in you would be a strong and infectious example to her children and to those who follow her uh, and serve our country as monarch. And finally, we Lord, Lord, we pray for those who put themselves up for election uh, in local and assembly elections last week across the United Kingdom. We pray for strength and wisdom uh, and humility for those who are successful and who were elected. And we pray for encouragement and comfort for those who put themselves forward and who didn't win, particularly if they had previously been elected and lost their seat. Encourage them, we pray, Lord, and we lift all these prayers up to you for the sake of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget that you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. Thank you so much for joining us. 